Hello, and welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. I'm Fernando Moncada, and this week we've got a big, ongoing story that's been causing serious ripple effects across one of the fastest growing industries of the past few years. FTX, the third largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, which also has one of the largest corporate venture capital units in the crypto slash Web3 sector, has filed for bankruptcy amid swirling allegations of pretty significant malfeasance. GCV's special features editor, Rob Levine, is back on the pod to talk about the ripple effects of FTX's collapse, as well as the implications that it's had on the rest of the crypto world. This is a developing story, so by the time this episode comes out, there are likely to have been additional revelations about the situation, so do keep up with our coverage on globalventuring.com. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the GVR pod, and do enjoy the show. So, Rob, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing okay, thanks. Uh, thank you for having me back on. Of course. And then for, for the past week or so, you've been following the sudden collapse of, of, of FTX, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, and which also has one of the largest CBCs anywhere in Web3. And, and since your initial story came out, there have been a number of new developments that don't seem to be slowing down at all, really. And, and as we sit recording this podcast on Thursday, the 17th of November, it's quite likely that by the time it comes out on Monday, even more information will have come out. So, so this is all a very fluid situation, isn't it? Yeah, like this whole saga pretty much was a huge thing last week. Every Friday, I pretty much write this article called The Big Deal, where we look at one of the biggest deals that's kind of happened during the week and, we like, and why that's important from a corporate VC point of view. And the original idea was I was going to be writing this about Binance's acquisition of FTX. And, you know, that kind of graduated to the non the big non-deal. And uh, I think by the time it got to Friday afternoon and I was just filing the piece, I thought, I'm going to check back to see if there have been any developments in this. And it turned out FTX had actually declared bankruptcy 20 minutes earlier. Yeah. So I had to, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how Michael Lewis must feel right now. Right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I would say pretty good, right? Because. I mean, he'll have to re-angle his book, but but it's a, it's a pretty explosive ending, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say for sure. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing because you can tell this is a really crazy story because a week, a week and a half on, whatever, there are still crazy things happening constantly. I think just in the last 24 hours, the lending arm of Genesis Global Trading, which had more than $2.8 billion in total active loans as of the end of September, 175 million locked funds on the FTX platform, they've suspended all customer withdrawals. BlockFi, that crypto asset trading platform, basically like was saved early this year because FTX agreed to loan it like this nine-figure amount. They're reportedly looking to file for bankruptcy now. Temasek, the Singaporean state-owned investment firm, they were like in FTX, a big investor. They've marked down a $275 million investment to zero. Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, said he, he regrets declaring bankruptcy now. And I think perhaps most amusingly of all, someone's preparing a class action lawsuit, or it's been filed, I think, against celebrities, including Shaquille O'Neal, Larry David, and the Golden State Warriors for advertising FTX. For advertising FTX, really? Yeah, uh, Larry David did this whole big Super Bowl ad where, ironically, his whole, the whole shtick was that he was saying, ah, this FTX thing, I'm not interested, it's never going to work. And uh, yeah, there was, you know, the whole thing was that he was going to be wrong about this, but it turns out he wasn't wrong about that. Yeah, no, no, I, I remember the ad. It, I, I quite enjoyed it too, but yeah, it, it turns out that uh, he, he was right on, on point in his, in his Curb Your Enthusiasm character there. So Yeah, this whole thing is just, it's, 
at least the craziest story, I think, in the whole kind of VC space since Ant Financial got what I think would have been one of the biggest or maybe even the biggest tech IPO of all time pulled by the Chinese government two days before it was due to take place. It's kind of, a you know, if it feels like that kind of similar thing where you just have no idea what's going to happen next. Exactly. And the ripples just seem to not just be continuing, but get, getting getting bigger every day. So let, let, let's go back to the beginning to kind of see how we got here. So, so firstly, can you, can you give us an idea of, of what FTX looked like before all this happened? So what place did it hold in the crypto world? And, and who, were its, who were its corporate backers as well? Because interestingly, a good few of its investors were other exchanges, right? Yeah, basically, FTX was incubated within Alameda Research, which was a quantitative trading firm, basically also founded by Sam Bagman-Fried. They kind of focused on crypto investments. So they were kind of launched in 2019. They had raised $2 billion in funding, most recently at a $32 billion valuation back in January. And their investors included SoftBank's Vision Fund 2. Feels like SoftBank is involved in all of these in one way or another. Coinbase and Circle, which basically provides peer-to-peer payment technology, including one of the main stable coins. They also have, because the main FTX kind of company registered in the Bahamas, they also have a US subsidiary called FTX US, which had raised $400 million at an $8 billion valuation. But apparently, I don't think there's been any confirmation on this, but I think the official word is they're separate entities in terms of how the actual assets and capital are stored. So they aren't really, FTX US isn't really included in this whole thing yet, as far as we can tell at this stage. But, you know, like when we look at kind of, um, you know, like uh, FTX, there wasn't the kind of huge warning signs you generally get with kind of these troubled startups. They weren't losing huge amounts of money. In 2021, they posted $388 million in net income from over a billion dollars in revenue. Like Bankman Fried was thought to have this personal fortune of $16 billion. And people reckoned that when the sector began to see consolidation, which I think everyone thought was pretty much inevitable given like how many exchanges there are. Like there are literally dozens of kind of crypto exchanges out there. You know, he'd be in a prime position between Alameda and FTX to really kind of take control and be one of the people who actually capitalizes on that. But uh, unfortunately, I think people didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes at FTX. And obviously, that was a big issue. Yeah. So, I mean, suffice it to say, FTX was no slouch in the space, right? It was, it was obviously, it was running Super Bowl ads. It was one of the most visible names in, you know, anywhere in crypto or Web3. So, so how does, you know, one of the world's biggest, most visible, most capitalized crypto firms end up going under? Well, it all started with a report in Coindesk, who I think have done great work on reporting this all down the line, pretty much. Like around the early part of this month, they got hold of these documents showing that I think 5.8 billion of Alameda's 14.6 billion in assets considered to be the unlocked FTT or FTT collateral. Now, FTT is uh, the coin, like the kind of crypto token that FTX uses pretty much. Obviously, that rings alarm bells, not just because a firm is so heavily leveraged in one thing. For that thing to be a currency that's created and controlled by its sister company, I mean, that raised a lot of eyebrows. So you fast forward to Sunday the 10th and Changpeng Zhao, the CEO of Binance, who are like the biggest crypto exchange by volume, tweeted that his company was going to divest all its FTT. That basically panicked investors and drove the price of the coin from about $25 the week before to under $5 by Tuesday and under 3 by Friday, which is when 
FTX and Alameda and I think 130 of their affiliates declared bankruptcy. Like, I mean, during that time, Binance at one point said it was going to acquire FTX, but that was until they actually took a look at FTX's balance sheet and did some due diligence. And they backed out extremely quickly because it turned out FTX, this came out shortly afterwards, had loaned some $10 billion to Alameda. Money, it's, you know, it seems to have got from user accounts. And right now, an estimated $1 to $2 billion of that like, actually user capital is missing. I mean, before the bankruptcy filing, Bankman Fried was apparently seeking $8 billion in financing to cover withdrawal of like uh, requests, which I think should kind of give an idea of just the scale of all this, basically. Mm-hmm. And w- when you say missing, is that is that missing in the sense that it's been wiped out by my market losses or missing in the sense that we don't know where it is or what it's being used for? The second one. I think th- this is the point where people like the authorities are getting involved. And mm-hmm. again, no one really knows how this is going to end exactly. I mean, like if you kind of put your money into a bank, you know that it's going to go into the bank's overall holdings and they're going to kind of use that but you're going to be able to get out at any time. If you put your money into an exchange, I think like an online exchange, your perception is that money is going to be invested in the things you want to invest. And those holdings will be there at any time because the holdings belong to you and not the platform. And I think uh, a fair few people have got a rude awakening on that front. Yeah. And and I imagine we're going to be hearing a bit more about this in, in the days and weeks to come. Do we have any indication as to why Binance decided to sell its FTT holdings, of which I had quite a few. I mean, it, it, it's quite, you know, well known that that you know the Binance's CEO and and Sam Bankman Fried, you know, there, there's little love lost between them. But was this perhaps, you know, a case of of Binance in a bid to take over its rival, perhaps biting off more than it could chew before ultimately backing out once it saw FTX's books, or or what do we think it was? Yeah, up to a point, Binance was actually one of the very earliest investors in FTX. They invested at the end of 2019. And they actually kind of ended up selling their stake back to the company in a $900 million round last year. I think at that point, each of the CEOs, like Xiao and uh, Bankman-Fried, Bankman-Fried, basically, I think were at odds. Bankman-Fried said that he felt their, appro- like their approaches to how they did business were, quote, very different, which I think looks pretty good for Binance right now. But um, essentially, they sold their stake back to the company, but I believe they got paid in FTT. Right. When Zhao actually tweeted that, the reports we saw were that it held 23 million tokens of FTT, which at that point were worth a total of $529 million. They're now worth a tiny fraction of that. I think looking at this, it was probably just the state of the finances that made Binance turn tail. I mean, $529 million is a big loss, but if you're kind of putting yourself on the hook for all these other kind of potential losses, it's, that's going to be far bigger. I think maybe in a linear sense, it doesn't really gain Binance to really make the acquisition because in any case, it's going to knock out one of its biggest competitors. You know, if you look at the volume, Binance are number one, Coinbase are number two, and FTX were number three. There's an argument to be made that Binance should have done it or could have done it, I think, to really shore up, I guess. Its own market position. Well, partially that, but also I think it's to make the sector as a whole look good because this whole thing has been a massive black eye for, I think, just the concept of crypto investing in general. Mm-hmm. No, no, so certainly. I mean, for an area that's already been kind of plagued by concerns and worries about its speculative nature, this can't do 
much good, I would imagine. And, you know, last year, FTX, and pivoting back to why this is relevant for us as, as a CVC outlet, you know, last year, FTX launched a $2 billion venture fund called FTX Ventures, which has been deploying capital pretty prolifically since then throughout 2022. You know, what do we know so far about the effect that it's having on on that unit? And is that set to collapse as well? Well, FTX Ventures was set up in January with $2 billion of Bankman Fried Zone capital. And uh, it was headed by Amy Wu, who'd been recruited from Lightspeed Venture Partners, like the VC firm. She's reportedly already left. I imagine, I mean, that's no surprise, really. Mm-hmm. I think the same with the rest of the team. FTX Ventures is, I'd say, dead in the water. And it was very active. It invested probably $350 million across more than 40 startups since January. The good news for those startups is apparently the money had already been sent. That's what the reports kind of we're reading are saying. So the portfolio companies won't be losing out. And there are some big portfolio companies in there, like Helium, Miston Labs, Near Protocol. These are all like kind of unicorns. And FTX itself had like invested in a range of other companies, including Circle and Coinbase, which I think tells you a bit about how incestuous the whole crypto VC space really is. Alameda Research, possibly even more interesting because they had more than 160 kind of companies in their portfolio. They've also declared bankruptcy. Question I think now is what happens to those stakes? I think a fair few might be sold back directly to the companies as part of the bankruptcy process. I think maybe that kind of makes the most sense all around. Potentially, I guess they could be auctioned off to an external investor. But at that point, you've got to ask what really happens to the valuations. Does it make more sense for those companies if they have capital to actually buy their stakes back? I think that's probably what we're going to see. But yeah, in a wider sense, it is a big blow to the Web3 space. As you know, as we said, you're looking at, I think, probably over 200 companies all in all that had FTX or FTX Ventures or Alameda Research as an investor. It is a very incestuous scene, really. Like I think some people have kind of likened it to a Ponzi scheme, but I think it's more like, to me, it feels more like Patreon. Like if I'm kind of a small scale Patreon operator and I have an account with maybe 40 people chipping in and 15 of them are other creators that I also donate to, it's, I think it's more like that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think this is downstream of, of you know, one of the more persistent themes, I think, in crypto and Web3 over the past few years was, was the attempt, the continuing attempt of pretty much all of them to grow their ecosystem, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, the tide of the lifts all boats type of thing. Because they're they're all developing this technology and layering technology on top of that technology, but they need a market, right? They need a market to sell their wares to, and 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 that's kind of been something that they've all kind of been working towards. And and I guess the downside of that collective effort is is that if something happens like this, the ripples are going to be noticed in every corner. So so I think that that that's that's certainly part of of what we're seeing here. But you know, luckily for those portfolio companies, it's, it's good to know that at least they haven't been impacted too heavily, certainly not as heavily as FTX itself. So, so that's, a, that, that's a tick in the, in, the, in the positive box, I suppose. Well, yeah, like in a certain sense, I think it's really more the kind of bigger investors that are going to be affected more. Like uh, Bankman Fried, I think, was a big investor in Solana's coin as well, mm-hmm. which has uh, gone, I think, last week we were seeing falls probably about 20 percent across most of the big coins like bitcoin ethereum you know everyone was really kind of affected quite a lot solana's coin sol was more like 50 percent drop and uh solana i think were one of those big companies were quite linked to the kind of the bankman fight empire and 
I think this is really the big question. Like we saw this in June where Luna and Tether kind of like that whole stable coin kind of thing collapsed and basically we just saw a kind of a bunch of kind of companies going with it, like Three Arrows, the Crypto Hedge Fund, Block Five, Voyager Digital, like all pretty much doomed either in the short term there or the long term because each of those companies well the last two were actually being loaned large amounts by ftx and alameda so there's i think there really is this kind of this fear that yeah you can say on the one hand a lot of the people who were affected by this they weren't really so much the average user but they were mostly big institutions who had like kind of a lot of holdings in ftt but you know if those institutions are taking people's money and they're also investors in the actual kind of the ecosystem then obviously you do have this big effect and uh as you say this big ripple yeah and and no we've already seen as you said the effect that its collapse is having on the actual value of the crypto tokens themselves whether it's the ones that ftx is directly kind of involved in or an investor in such as you know obviously ftt and, and solana but also the big boys you know the bitcoins the ethers the litecoins they've all kind of seen a, a drop following the, this whole uh, ongoing debacle. But w- w- what effect is it likely to have on you know, both customer and investor confidence in the space going forward? Are, are, are we seeing this having a lasting effect? Well, again, no one really knows for sure. I think yes and no. If you look at kind of the investors in FTX, you know, like from the corporate side, SoftBank has said it's vision funds. They've marked down their investment to zero, but they invested less than $100 million, which obviously... That's a big amount. Like there's a lot of CVC funds that are $100 million in total. But it's nothing like they've lost on, in, for something like WeWork or Uber or OneWeb. If you look at Coinbase, they were an investor in FTX and a portfolio company. But they've come out and said their stakes in each case are very small. Like they haven't really said how small, but a 1% stake in this case could be worth $320 million. But I'm guessing it's going to be a, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't really know for sure, but I think it's going to be probably a lot less than that because Circle has said its exposure was 10.6 million, which isn't really much at all. I think they kind of have, but then again, you look at like the other end, the VC firms, you've got like Temasek, we've already said lost 275 million. Paradigm, the crypto investment firm, have come out and said they've marked down their $278 million holding to zero. Sequoia Capital uh, marked down a $213 million exposure to zero. So, you know, in like in a, yeah, in a narrow sense, it's it's probably going to affect how those firms look at things. And I think how people look at that in general. If you look at, I guess, crypto as a general sector as a whole, I mean, the bear market opinion, I was talking to a tech writer in the pub about this the other day, and uh, their kind of opinion is this is the beginning of the end for crypto. But, you know, they're someone who I don't think is a big believer in anyway. I think we heard from someone who is involved in who's actually kind of a, an investor in one of the big kind of corporate crypto VC, CVC funds. He was saying that deals still being done hasn't really affected the rate of investment there. You know, on the other hand, I uh, spoke to Catherine Zhao from HSBC. She basically heads up their venture kind of investment activities. And uh, her kind of view is that she kind of sees crypto as different from the Web3 space as a whole. They never really that interested in crypto, but they're really interested in stuff like blockchain and tokenization, which I think echoes some th- things that we've heard from various people over the last year or so, which is that stuff like cryptocurrency and NFTs might grab the headlines, but you know, like it's the underlying technologies they think what's going to have the legs. And maybe it's necessary 
this isn't what she said, but I think I've heard this from other places, that maybe it's necessary for there to be some public failures in the same way there were in the late 90s, early 2000s and the dot-com crash era for the actual kind of sector as a whole to move forward. So yeah, in terms of kind of the overall confidence in crypto, I don't think it's obviously going to do that much good, but it does look like things are relatively stable right now. As I say, it could change before the podcast comes out, but I think it's two of these big crashes in the space of six months. And I think maybe people are going to be on the lookout to see, is there going to be a third? Because the thing is, a big reason people never really saw this coming is because none of the investors really got a good look at the balance sheet at any point. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, FTX is an outlier. You know, this is kind of really different. It doesn't represent the actual sector as a whole. But I wonder, like, I just wonder how many other FTXs there are or just cases where the investors haven't necessarily taken a deep look at the balance sheet and done due diligence. I think maybe that's going to be the really big thing coming out of this is that you're going to see a lot more demand from investors, I think on every side, but especially if you're a corporate investor and you're not necessarily in the sector as a whole, I think there's going to be a much bigger demand to actually kind of see the hard details before they invest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and, And I think it's a pretty useful distinction between the more kind of supply and demand driven speculative digital assets such as crypto tokens and and nfts versus the more kind of network architecture layering and 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 web3 build outs that have that have been uh, kind of seen so much investment over the past few years and 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 i think you're right that that investors will be looking far more at, at the kind of underlying inherent value rather than just you know the trend lines that 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 you see at the exchanges certainly and what what does it say about you know, any, any changes that other kind of crypto aligned firms should implement. So, so for example, one of the bigger problems, kind of an inherent problems that FTX had here structurally was that it had recourse to its customers funds, right? So it could do stuff with its, with the holdings that it had similar to, I suppose, what, what a bank might have. But then you have, you have a lot of kind of custodians. And, and other companies. So for example, one of the, I, I spoke not too long ago to the CEO of, of Zodia Custody, who, who, you know, they, they focus a lot on institutional investors kind of dipping their toe in the space. And, and one of their kind of most important elements is that there's a kind of ring fence around their customers' holdings that they can't just dip into the same way that this happened. And, you know, if if you go back, you know, several months, there there were, I suppose, some some jitters in the market because the CEO of Coinbase had also said that in the event of a, you know, in the unlikely event of a bankruptcy event, that they might have to go into the customer's holding. So, is that something that we're likely to see more of as as we see kind of flight to quality going forward after this? Again, it's kind of hard to tell. I think a lot of people, particularly from outside the uh, crypto Web three space, have been very vocal about wanting regulation. But it's kind of tricky to kind of get that regulation in because if you look at FTX, they were based in Bahamas. A lot of these kind of companies aren't really based in large centers like, say, the US or, or you know, a U- European country where you can really kind of crack down on them and they have like that strong regulatory infrastructure, which I think may be a significant reason why FTX and FTX US are perhaps in different positions here. But obviously that makes it, difficult to regulate because you need to come up with I think, a global standard for that, you know, that everyone can pretty much agree on. It's difficult going forward. I think like 
when I, I was saying earlier about having to kind of make that leap, I guess, to the next iteration, I do think that's what's going to be necessary. But then again, a big kind of part of the whole crypto thing was that it's not going to be regulated by those central players, by the central banks, central governments. And, you know, on one hand, that's part of its appeal. But on the other hand, it is still a bit like the Wild West. I think maybe you can make a comparison, not really necessarily to the dot-com companies, but to the internet in general, which first few years was kind of very unregulated up to a point. And you look at how it is now, the internet is pretty much run by a few central players in terms of kind of like where the traffic goes, what the traffic goes through. And uh, I wonder whether that's what we're going to see in future, maybe in like, say, five years time, there'll be a lot more regulation, but also far fewer players. Which is a bit ironic, right? Because another kind of recurring theme anytime like a crypto crash happens is that the whole point of cryptocurrency conceptually is that it is kind of unregulated and it's supposed to be this kind of thing that's separate from the central banking systems and separate from the kind of mainstream economy. Is that is there is there a conflict there that we're likely to see intensifying? I guess so. I mean, the problem with something being unregulated is it's really hard to stop it being abused, whether it's by an external player or someone internal. I mean, you look at how certain coins like, you know, Dogecoin were basically pumped up to an insane degree based on, I think, almost nothing. And then... Essentially a meme, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's very, it is very, there are certain coins that are vulnerable to pump and dumps in the same way, you know, shares would. Obviously, you have something like FTX where, they, you know, they were able to actually dip in to that capital and then you know lend it to a kind of a sister entity and i don't think it's hard to really tell but i mean i don't think the company itself thought of that as stealing or anything like that it was basically just a way to kind of maximize capital because they didn't really foresee something like this an event like this ever happening Mm -hmm. but yeah in terms of intensifying i think i think these issues are definitely going to come to the fore more because I can't imagine this is going to be the last time we see something like this. Although I don't know whether we're going to necessarily see stuff like this on this scale. Right. And this is obviously a pretty negative shock to the industry. But as in every, you know, to, to quote Game of Thrones, you know, chaos is a ladder, right? So we, are, are there any winners from this situation at all? Perhaps rival exchanges, even even the ones that have been investors in FTX in the past, such as Binance or Coinbase? You could claim in a linear sense, basically, like they've got rid of a big competitor, which uh, I say they've got rid of, like, you know, Binance will tell you it wasn't like a conscious decision by them, but essentially one of their biggest competitors is out the way, and you could argue that it's a win for them. Unfortunately, uh, I think in general, it's probably isn't a win for anyone. I think the wider picture is that it does impact the sector as a whole. And if you make money from crypto trades, the amount of people wanting to trade goes down, then obviously it affects your revenue. But you could say that maybe this is going to lead to a period of consolidation where all those exchanges like that are kind of everywhere are going to be maybe winnowed down to a few at the top, which will include people like Coinbase and Binance. And that could be good for them. But I don't know. I think as a whole, it's, it's a real black eye for, I think, the sector that it's going to take a while to recover from. I think it's also kind of key to kind of mention here that Binance is not squeaky clean. Like Thai Securities and Exchange Commission has filed a criminal complaint against them for allegedly operating without license. Cayman Islands has said that Binance and its entities are not regulated or licensed or registered in that jurisdiction. 
like you know they've had their own legal issues in the past again it's hard to tell like no one could have really foreseen this happening a month ago i think despite what a lot of people are claiming now in retrospect this wasn't really something that people saw coming and yeah maybe you know maybe we'll look at this five years down the line and see this is the point where things changed where like the big players really got their houses in order all of that kind of got sorted out but again you know if this is just with the latest in what will be a series of shocks that are ongoing then uh i think you can kind of point to this and say this would have been a big point where things kind of tipped toward the negative side even like bearing in mind things that like the kind of the fallen prices for things like nfts and crypto tokens over the past few months yeah and you know like like we said earlier you know between thursday and monday it's very likely that more stuff will continue to trickle in and we'll continue to follow it along so for listeners tuning in you know keep your eye on globalventuring.com for more information on the situation rob thank you so much hold on a sec fernando you're not getting off that easy why are we recording this thursday <laughs> and not on friday or even monday well rob because I happen to be getting married on Saturday. So Friday, unfortunately, I'm not going to be in the office. So by the time this comes out, I will be a married man. Excellent. <laughs> Great news. You don't have any holdings in FTT, do you? Luckily not. No, l- l- luckily, I've had to save all my money this year. So I haven't, I haven't had a chance to really put it behind any crypto assets, which I now realize was, was much to my advantage. Yeah, I always have this nightmare that I'm going to be dating someone and it goes a certain point and once the actual parents find out what I do, they ask me for investment advice, and I tell them something terrible. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that, that's that's um, that's that's certainly a worry that I've had to kind of you know, especially ironically with Web three, you know, I I, I always because there, there's always question marks around crypto, and I would say, well, I mean, the architecture is is always going to keep going, and they're going to need some kind of you know monetary instrument to go along with that. So in the long term, it will probably be fine. But now <laughs> I I, uh, I I have to question myself a bit more whenever I tell anyone that. So I I definitely uh, feel that same sentiment. Well, good luck. I hope it goes well. Well, Thank you. And and thanks so much for for coming back. And I'm I'm sure we'll have you back again soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. That was it from us this week. Thanks again to Rob and all of you for listening in. Again, this is not a static story. It's continually moving and changing. So keep an eye out for further coverage from Global Venturing, where you can catch our complete coverage, not just of FTX, but of the wider CVC world. You can listen to the GVR podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at your listening post of choice. I have been Fernando Moncada. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production, whose great work you can check out at inearproduction.com. And our music is by Kevin McLeod and a Creative Commons license. We'll be back again soon. Until then, take care.